What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News? First, our top stories. Former President Trump as temporary Speaker of the House. Trump previously said he doesn't want to be Speaker. Find out what he's saying now. The Heritage Foundation is suggesting heavy charges against the congressman who pulled a fire alarm, the same charges that were brought against January 6th defendants. The strength of the U.S. labor market soared above expectations. The economy added 336,000 jobs in September. We talked to a labor economist. An over 800% increase in Chinese nationals illegally crossing the U.S. border. That figure went past 18,000 this year. Lawmakers are calling for action. An important Holocaust anniversary. 7,000 Jews fled Denmark by night to escape the Nazis. Here one man recount how he escaped at 12 years old. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news. Former President Trump's legal team is looking to halt the New York civil fraud trial. Trump isn't in court today as the trial enters the fifth day. His team is planning to appeal the judge's ruling that Trump is liable and they want the trial to pause until then. Prosecutors objected, saying they need more than 24 hours notice. The judge also said it wasn't enough time and that the appeals court might deny the request. Judge Engeron ruled that Trump was liable for fraud last week. The case could cost Trump control over some of his properties, like Trump Tower. So far, the judge has ordered an outline of the plan to dissolve Trump's companies and will decide other penalties next. New York Attorney General Letitia James is also seeking $250 million in damages and a ban on Trump doing business in New York. Trump's lawyers also withdrew a lawsuit against Judge Engeron and A.G. James. Trump had sued to either limit the case or delay the trial. An update on Trump election case. Several news organizations have asked a judge if they can record and broadcast the trial set for March 2024. They argue it's crucial to ensure people have confidence in the justice system and to counter false theories. Currently, there's a federal rule that bans cameras in courtrooms during criminal trials, but these organizations say it violates the First Amendment. And the former president has now endorsed Congressman Jim Jordan for the next Speaker of the House. It comes after Trump reportedly said he would consider temporarily filling the role. Here are Jordan's thoughts on Trump as the next Speaker. I think President Trump wants to be president of the United States. That's what I want. I think he's the best president we've had, certainly in my lifetime. Did more what he said he would do than any president I can remember. I want him to be president of the United States. I think that's what he wants to do. Um, and I think that's, I think that's what's going to happen. Trump says lawmakers asked him to temporarily take on the role if neither candidate gets enough votes. It's not clear who asked him. However, multiple lawmakers openly supported the idea of Trump as Speaker of the House. The first procedural vote to elect a new speaker will take place on Tuesday. Now that Representative Jordan has secured Trump's endorsement, how will this impact Jordan's chances of becoming Speaker? We speak with a former President Trump Advisory Board member, Jason Meister, thank you for joining us. Donald Trump just endorsed Jim Jordan for House Speaker. How could that impact Jordan's candidacy? 
Yeah, look, I think Jim Jordan would be an excellent speaker of the House. I think that Matt Gates, what Matt Gates accomplished over the last couple of days, it's, it's proving that he is a leader of historic consequence at a time in U.S. history that requires leaders to have the courage to rise to the occasion. And what would the House look like under Jordan, do you think? Look, I think what, what, what you need to understand and your viewers need to understand is where we are as a country. Uh, President Trump is right now being politically persecuted in multiple states by the Biden regime. The FBI has been weaponized and is targeting Trump supporters as domestic terrorists. You had Hillary Clinton on CNN last night saying that Trump supporters need to be deprogrammed and sent to re-education camps. So I think a Jim Jordan uh, speakership is going to be on the offense. And we're not going to be sending billions of dollars to Ukraine while our vets are sitting on our streets homeless. And also, Jordan is currently leading several investigations into the Biden administration. How can his work on the Judiciary Committee be impacted if he becomes the speaker? Yeah, look, if he becomes a speaker, I think that all these investigations go into overdrive, which they need to be. The fact that Joe Biden, with the mountains of evidence of the bribery, extortion and treason that his family committed while he was vice president, uh, the fact that he hasn't been impeached at least twice already proves that McCarthy was just a passive resistance. We need to be on offense right now. We, our country is on the abyss. We need to impeach Joe Biden. We need to stop sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, which is essentially a money laundering scheme. And we need to secure the southern border, which I think a Jim Jordan speakership will do. Now, under former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the House was in chaos over big decisions like the debt ceiling bill and now the appropriations bills. How might a potential Jim Jordan speakership affect the ability of the House to get things done? Look, uh, yeah, we heard a lot of those talking points over the last week or so being debated in the House. And the truth of the matter is, Matt Gates was correct. You know, 30 trillion dollars is chaos. Over 8 million illegal immigrants pouring over our southern border uh, since Joe Biden took office is chaos. The fact that we have a compromised president that basically made his son into a bagman to collect and split with him the millions of dollars of graft that they took around from around the world for doling out political favors is chaos. So I think a Jim Jordan a speakership, someone who puts America first, uh, isn't going to send billions of dollars to Ukraine, is going to investigate the Biden crime family. That, to me, is what we need in this country to survive. Because like I said earlier, we are on the abyss. Now, it seems like you think that uh, Matt's case, Matt Gates's decision reflects well on him. But, you know, how would it reflect on um, how would other Republicans feel about it in retrospect if um, Jordan becomes a speaker? Yeah, that was something else that I think came out over the last week in the House is that we have a large chunk of the Republican Party that caters to the lobbyists and the consultants uh, uh, in Washington, D.C., and not cater to the constituents uh, at their hometowns and districts. I think that uh, a Jim Jordan speakership is going to show, if we take it to a vote, you know, who needs to be primaried? Because these people that we elect, th these are our elected officials. They serve us. And if, if the majority of the Republican base in this country uh, felt that uh, McCarthy wasn't doing the job and he was just passive resistance— and that we need to be on offense, I think we then realize which uh, uh, House members, congressmen and congresswomen, that we need to primary going forward. 
All right, Republican strategist Jason Meister, thank you. Speaking of the 2024 race, there's a new independent presidential candidate, former Harvard University professor and progressive activist Cornell West is switching from the Green Party. We're at such a low level in the history of the country with the spiritual decay and moral decadence, political paralysis, the corporate greed, suppressions in so many ways of UAW workers and now healthcare workers. We have to raise our voices in a serious way. And I'm thoroughly convinced that both parties are beyond redemption. He adds that he ran across certain impediments in the Green Party and says it's easier to get on the ballot as an independent. He says he'll be in at least 35 to 40 states. His platform includes raising the minimum wage and canceling all oil drilling and pipeline projects. He also proposes to cancel all student loan debt, make state and community colleges free, and codify race as an admissions criterion. His foreign policy includes disbanding NATO, ending aid to Ukraine, and slashing the military budget. This is the second time West has switched parties since he announced his campaign in June. If he gains enough support, some speculate he could act as an election spoiler for Democrats. A federal court has given the green light to a new map of congressional districts in Alabama just in time for the 2024 congressional elections. This decision is expected to benefit the Democratic Party in a state that traditionally leans heavily Republican. The court's rules, ruling comes after it found that the old district lines may have violated the Federal Voting Rights Act, this by weakening the voting power of black citizens who make up almost 27% of Alabama's population. The new map is designed to create one district where most of the population is black and another where nearly half are black. Alabama Republicans are expected to lose one House seat to Democrats under the new map. Republicans say they will contest the map, but competing, completing any legal proceedings in time for next year's elections is unlikely. Turning now to the 2024 presidential campaign, campaign staff of GOP candidate Vivek Ramaswamy said protesters rammed their car into a campaign vehicle. The incident took place in the central Iowa city of Grinnell yesterday afternoon. Ramaswamy's campaign said two protesters were upset about his remarks in opposition to aid for Ukraine. They yelled and swore at the candidate before at least one of them jumped into a vehicle, rammed into Ramaswamy's empty campaign car, and sped off. The campaign said that no one was injured and that it had filed a police report. But police say no evidence supports the claim that the crash was intentional. A 22-year-old woman involved in the crash said she was not there protesting anything and had no idea whose vehicle she had hit. Updates regarding the Democratic congressman who pulled a fire alarm earlier this week. The Heritage Foundation is now asking the DOJ to press substantial charges against the representative. The foundation is referring to a statute that has been used to prosecute January 6th defendants. The foundation sent a letter to the DOJ writing, Representative Bowman's actions violated federal law in addition to D.C. criminal law, and that the DOJ used similar legal theories recently to investigate and prosecute individuals across the country. The foundation proposed the federal obstruction statute to be used against the congressman. 
They also referred to a local D.C. code which could land the congressman in prison for up to three years. Bowman admitted to pulling the fire alarm but disputes doing so to delay the vote. He says he activated the alarm thinking it would open the door as it wouldn't open. When we come back, is President Biden changing his border policy? A recent move he made makes it seem that way. We speak with a former ICE special agent about what's really going on. And the nurse shortage isn't looking hopeful. Nursing schools are turning away tens of thousands of applicants. What's driving the trend? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. The strength of the U.S. labor market soared above expectations. The economy added 336,000 jobs in September, almost two times more than expected. The unemployment rate remained unchanged at 3.8%. For more, NTD Business's Don Ma talks to a labor market economist. And here to talk to me about the latest jobs report is chief economist at Zip Recruiter, Julia Pollock. Uh, so, you know, Julia, with economic data points, it's never a straight line down or a straight line up. So there's going to be some bumps along the way. We got this number this morning, 336,000 jobs added last month, way above expectations. Uh, what should we make of this number? Is the job market heating up again? Uh, how, should we, how should we take it? Yeah, this report suggests that the job market is reaccelerating, and it's consistent with the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now estimate of uh, third quarter GDP growth at 4.9 percent, about twice the usual long-run average. So there is plenty of evidence to suggest that economic activity is still uh, chugging and that the economy is still generating jobs quickly. So what about when before we talked about uh, perhaps uh, the labor market could potentially uh, be cooling? Um, how does that fit into this uh, jobs report number? Well, there's a little sign of a cooling labor market here, although uh, the unemployment rate did hold steady at around 3.8 percent. So it does suggest that the labor market is no longer at a point of record low, 3.4 percent unemployment. Uh, it's not overheating. And the wage growth number was fairly cool. Over the past three months, wage growth has taken place at only a 3.4% average rate, uh, annualized rate. And so uh, workers are receiving real wage increases, but um, you know, wage growth is, is cooling. And, and that suggests that the Fed can have its cake and eat it. It is uh, bringing inflation down meaningfully without seeing painful job losses. Uh, instead, the economy is still growing, and we're seeing the whole labor market move towards a more sustainable uh, place. Do you expect the unemployment rate, uh, which, of course, remained flat uh, last month, do you expect is uh, to tick up a little bit uh, because the Federal Reserve is looking for a softer labor market? Well, the Congressional Budget Office and the Federal Reserve both anticipate that the unemployment rate will tick up over the next few months. But it's not clear. Uh, their estimates have been too pessimistic uh, over the past year. And perhaps, perhaps we'll see unemployment hold steady below 4 percent, uh, as it has done for almost two years now. And of course, I want to talk about the strikes, right? Has there been an impact of the strikes on the labor market uh, from what have we seen? Yes, certainly. So in, in the jobs reports recently, a large number of people, historically unusually large number of people, have been uh, employed but out of work due to labor stoppages. And that was even before the UAW strike began. So that strike is not reflected in this report. Do you think we can have a soft landing? 
This report very much suggests that we're on a path towards a soft landing. Uh, but there's tremendous uncertainty. There are economists like Steve Hankey who are predicting uh, a, a very severe recession based on how quickly borrowing costs have gone up and how quickly the money, money supply has shrunk. There are others who point to you know, these huge estimates of current rates of economic activity and GDP growth uh, and to, who think we're in a boom time. Anytime there's that degree of uncertainty, it actually is a tax on business and it causes many businesses uh, to, to conserve capital, to take a wait and see approach. Uh, so you know, many, many employers we work with have great ambitions and great growth plans, uh, but they're taking it easy right now. They're, they're slow peddling those, those plans. Well, all right. Thank you so much again. Julia Pollack, Chief Economist, Zip Recruiter. One profession that needs more workers, nursing. Thousands of nurses are on strike to protest staffing shortages, but many nursing schools aren't able to accept hundreds of new students. The reason? Not only is there a shortage of nurses in clinical settings, there's also a problem with having enough nursing professors to teach them. According to the American Association of Colleges of Nurses, more than 78,000 qualified applicants were turned away last year. Even in schools that have enough nursing faculty members, there are often not enough clinical placements for existing students. In hospitals, those who train new nurses have strict limits on how many students they can supervise at a time. Aggravating the existing shortage, many nurses were burned out during the pandemic and left the profession entirely. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is pumping more than $26 million into an effort to train more nursing faculty to help address the problem. Georgians won't have to pay gas tax until next month. Governor Brian Kemp has signed an executive order extending the state's gas tax suspension. The governor declared a state of emergency last month and suspended the state's tax on gas due to rising costs of inflation. The suspension was scheduled to end next week, but it will now remain in effect until November 11th. Motorists in the Peach State are now saving 31 cents per gallon on gasoline and 35 cents per gallon on diesel fuel. According to AAA, the average cost of a gallon of regular gas in Georgia is $3.18. That is more than 55 cents less than the national average. However, economists say there is a positive trend for consumers nationally, and we could be seeing averages drop to 325 by Halloween. Is President Biden picking up where Trump left off on the border wall? Not exactly. He's building an additional 20 miles of border wall, but he says the reason is because funds were appropriated for that purpose. We speak with a retired special agent for ICE, Victor Avila, about the seeming policy switch-up. Victor Avila, thank you for your time. President Biden said he would not build another foot of wall at the southern border, but now he's building 20 miles of wall. What do you think has triggered this change of policy? I definitely think this is political. It's election year, and they have to try to tell the American people that they're, it looks like they're trying to do something about this border security chaos that they created. Um, he doesn't agree with the wall. He doesn't want it to be built, but he said that he's being forced uh, by the appropriations to build the wall. It makes absolutely no, no sense what's going on. Uh, nevertheless, I'll tell you what, the 20 miles down uh, in the Rio Grande Valley that's being built is way overdue, but we need a lot more 
wall in very different parts of the border as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, the wall will be built in what's called a high illegal entry zone. But when it's done, you know, what's stopping migrants from uh, crossing at another part of the border, making that the new high illegal entry zone? And that's exactly right. And, and remember, it's the wall technology that works with the policy attached to it, not but not the wall itself. And you're absolutely right. They will shift uh, to a different location. I would love to see a barrier in Eagle Pass, Texas right now, where thousands of uh, illegals continue to come through. And now this week, Mexican President Lopez Obrador said the U.S. will soon see about 10,000 migrants per day coming across the border. That's based on the number of migrants coming across uh, Mexico's southern border. Will this be any different from other influxes of immigrants at our southern border? I think the president of Mexico is about a week, a week and a half late on that on that news cycle because uh, I, I just stood in Eagle Pass, Texas last week and I saw thousands. As a matter of fact, on one day there was 11,000 that came in uh, and we've had an average about nine to ten thousand per day uh, come in through our southern border. Uh, but instead of uh, trying to figure out how many are coming in, uh, the president of Mexico should start figuring out and working with the with the United States government to stop the flow because most of the uh, individuals coming through Mexico are also illegally present in Mexico. Now you mentioned pairing the border wall with some policy changes. What kind of policy changes are you talking about here? Well, the very first one is to actually allow Border Patrol agents to go back and do their jobs and the scope of their duties that they were trained to do. Uh, I witnessed firsthand that they're just not allowed to do that. This was in Eagle Pass, Texas and El Paso, Texas, in the last week and a half that I've been there. And let me tell you, they are demoralized, these agents, because not only are they not allowed to enforce the law, they're uh, being asked to do things against their will that they don't want to do. And I'm talking about cutting razor wire, allowing the, the migrants to come in. And so this is, this is very demoralizing for them. All right, Victor Avila, thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. An urgent call for action. Five U.S. senators penning a letter to the head of Homeland Security urging him to take immediate action on a rising threat one they say involves over 18,000 illegal Chinese immigrants that crossed into the U.S. this year. Let's zoom in. How big is the influx of illegal Chinese migrants through the border? An over 800% spike compared to last year. Over 18,000 Chinese people illegally crossed into the U.S. through the southern border in 2023, compared to a little over 2,000 last year and around 400 in 2021. Lawmakers saying over 90 percent of the illegal Chinese immigrants in 2023 are single adults. Officials argue they could engage in espionage activities or cyber attacks against critical infrastructure. The road to America through the South is dangerous. Illegal migrants trek through muddy rainforests on foot and cross rushing rivers by boat. Some escaped China over fear of Beijing's authoritarian rule. But for authorities, gauging who truly needs protection can be a touchy subject. Is the PRC exploiting the crisis at our southern border for their own personal gain? I think we should assume that any vulnerabilities at our southern border are open for authoritarian influence of many kinds. 
I think that's a that's a safe assumption. Um, if if the gaps are there, then those who are working uh, against us are going to use them to their advantage. Calls to address the issue are on the rise. With the threat of terror, um, fentanyl, and other illicit drugs that are coming in, and the human trafficking that's going on, um, I think it uh, should be called to attention because. Is the communist Chinese government exploiting our southern border being open, just like they've done with fentanyl? Fentanyl has killed more Americans than car accidents and cancer. To put it in perspective, the drug killed over 70,000 Americans in 2021. That's about one person every eight minutes. The drug flow breaking families in the U.S. Now, if we had Chinese troops lining up along our southern border with weapons aimed at our people, with weapons of mass destruction aimed at our cities, you damn well know you would do something about it. We have a weather balloon from China going across our country. Nobody died, and everybody's freaking out about it. But 100,000 die every year? And nothing's being done. Not enough is being done. Numbers are going up, not down. And you talk about children being taken away from their parents. My children were taken away from me. A hundred thousand Americans every year are having their children. Two hundred thousand, because it's both parents, right? Are having their children taken away from them. Last year, U.S. authorities confiscated over 300 million doses of fentanyl, enough to lethally dose the entire U.S. population. Much of the precursors used to make the drug get made in China, with some of them then pressed into pills in Mexico and smuggled into the U.S. through the southern border. An in-person meeting between President Biden and China's Xi Jinping may be on the horizon. According to the Washington Post, the White House is already making plans for the face-to-face -face talks as the two countries seek to smooth tensions. The potential meeting would take place at the APEC summit in San Francisco next month, but so far China hasn't confirmed whether she will attend. If the talks do happen, it would be the second in-person meeting between the two leaders. They last met in Bali last November at a G20 summit. A Louisiana grand jury declined to indict anyone for causing the deadly Hard Rock Hotel collapse four years ago. The New Orleans Hotel stood on the edge of the historic French Quarter. It was under construction when it collapsed on October 12, 2019. Three people were killed and dozens were injured. The Orleans District Attorney's Office began its inquiry two years ago and presented the case to a grand jury. But according to a statement from the DA, the jurors deliberated and decided there wasn't enough evidence for criminal charges. The statement went on to state the DA's team was frustrated with the outcome. They also said that Occupational Safety and Health Administration did not cooperate to further their efforts in presenting the case to the grand jury. A nationwide recall alert. The popular sour rolling candies are being recalled due to choking hazards. Candy Dynamics is recalling 70 million units of its 2-ounce to 3-ounce rolling liquid candies. The flavors are Blue Raz, Strawberry, Sour Apple, and Black Cherry. They are labeled as Toxic Waste and Slime Liquor Sour Rolling Liquid Candy, or Mega Toxic Waste and Slime Liquor Sour Rolling Liquid Candy. 
These candies were sold from June 2015 to July 2023. Also, Cocoa Candy and KGR Distribution have recalled nearly 146,000 units of their Cocoa Candy Rolling Candy. The flavors include Sour Strawberry, Sour Tutti Frutti, and Sour Cola. Those were sold from May 2022 through March 2023. Candy Dynamics will give a full refund for any product that still has candy in it. In April, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission received a report of a seven-year-old girl in New York who choked and died. It happened after the rolling ball unhooked and was stuck in her throat. Up next, an embrace between two Chinese sports stars has vanished from China's internet. What makes this celebratory photo such a sensitive subject for Beijing? And Denmark marks 80 years since thousands of Jews fled their country by night to escape the Nazis. Hear their story when we return with NTD News. Sportsmanship or censorship? A snapshot of a hug between two celebrating athletes at the Asian Games scrubbed from the Chinese internet. And TD's Tiffany Meyer has more. This photo was taken just after Ling Yiwei won gold during the 100-meter hurdles final. She's seen embracing fellow China athlete Wu Yinning. What makes the photo a sensitive one for Beijing? The image shows the two athletes' race numbers next to each other, combining to form 6-4. The digits are a common online reference to the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre, which took place on June 4th. That day, the Chinese regime deployed troops and tanks to gun down crowds of unarmed students. They had gathered to ask for democracy and better access to education. References to it are blocked by Beijing's internet firewall. The race also happened on October 1st, when the Chinese Communist Party celebrates its founding. Internet censors are particularly strict during the National Day holiday and other occasions meant to highlight the party's rule. The image was quickly removed from popular Chinese social media Weibo, as well as search engine Beidou. Google is blocked in China. This year's Asian Games are happening in the Chinese city of Hangzhou and run through this Sunday. It's an important anniversary for Jews in Denmark. Eighty years ago, over 7,000 people evacuated to Sweden during the Holocaust. The effort allowed them to escape deportation to Nazi concentration camps. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on that moment in history. The director of the Danish Jewish Museum says it's important to remember the Second World War and the Holocaust, especially amid what he believes is rising anti-Semitism. We are living uh, at a time where there's war, uh, streams of refugees and persecution, and on top of that also a growing anti-Semitism, not only in Europe but also in, in Denmark. So that's why it's so important to keep this history alive. Reading from his childhood diary, 92-year-old Ola Philipson is transported back 80 years when he and his family were forced to flee Denmark to Sweden. They had to make the journey to avoid being deported to a Nazi concentration camp. Now, the friends of his who helped us were normal Danish citizens. They were not members of any networks. They were very anti-Nazi. But all this was like improvised. 
In October 1943, the Nazis ordered the deportation of all Jews living in occupied Denmark, but a German official tipped off Danish lawmakers, who then warned Jewish leaders. They called their friends and said, hey, we've got to help here. Yes, I will. Come to my house. It was, uh, as far as I know, an improvised network. Philipson became one of over 7,000 Jews to escape to neutral Sweden. Sailing under the cover of darkness, the journey took two hours, trying to avoid Nazi patrols. A Swedish uniformed lady, and she said, Welcome to Sverige, with a hard stick chocolate. Welcome to Sweden, do you want a piece of chocolate? This to me is the biggest thing in my life. Philipson and his family returned to Denmark after the war. He says it's now his duty to share his story. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And now some short headlines from around Europe. 52 people are now confirmed dead in a village in northeastern Ukraine. That's after a missile slammed into a cafe and grocery store on Thursday. It happened as people gathered to mourn a fallen Ukrainian soldier. Ukraine describes it as one of Moscow's deadliest attacks on civilians. However, the Kremlin today again saying it wasn't behind the attack. Russian officials say they don't strike civilian targets. A three-day mourning period was announced after the strike. The United Nations on Thursday condemned the attack. Attacks against civilians and civilian infrastructure are prohibited under international humanitarian law and they must stop immediately. He added that the U.N. Secretary General extends his condolences to the families of the victims. He also wished a swift recovery to all injured victims. This attack reportedly marks the deadliest in the Kharkiv region since Russia's invasion more than 19 months ago. It also seems to be one of the biggest civilian death tolls in any single strike. Meanwhile in Russia, President Vladimir Putin commented on the death of the Wagner mercenary chief. Putin suggests the plane crash that killed the chief in August was caused by hand grenades inside the aircraft. He says it wasn't caused by a missile strike. He added that it's an established fact there was no external impact on the plane. At the same time, the Kremlin announced that investigators had not yet produced a final report on the cause of the plane crash. The Wagner coup earlier this year posed the biggest challenge to Putin's rule since he came to power in 1999. In Turkey, fighting with Kurdish militants continues. Turkey announced today that it killed 26 militants in northern Syria. Turkey also reported it conducted airstrikes and destroyed 30 militant targets in northern Syria. Turkey says it's in retaliation for a rocket attack by Kurdish militants on a Turkish base, which killed one and injured seven. The fighting marks an escalation in the ongoing conflict between the two factions. And lastly, some lighter news out of Spain. Police announced today that they seized 67 tons of stolen olives. Twelve suspects were arrested for their alleged involvement in the theft and sale of stolen olives. Spain is the world's largest producer of olives and olive oil. However, production has been severely affected by heat waves and an ongoing drought. Coming up, a newly restored Roman palace reopens to the public after nearly 50 years. The ancient structure overlooks the Forum and was home to Rome's emperors. 
and a temple in Tokyo's business district provides a safe haven for busy workers and residents. On Wednesdays, the sanctuary's monk makes free desserts. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Former President Trump has endorsed Congressman Jim Jordan as the next Speaker of the House. It comes after Trump reportedly said he would consider temporarily filling the role. The Heritage Foundation is suggesting heavy charges against the congressman who pulled a fire alarm, the same charges that were brought against January 6th defendants. If convicted, the congressman could face multiple years behind bars. New jobs report released today. The U.S. economy added 336,000 jobs in September. The unemployment rate remained steady at a historically low 3.8%. This year, more than 18,000 Chinese people crossed the U.S. southern border illegally. That's a jump of more than 800% from last year. Five U.S. senators are calling on the Department of Homeland Security to take action. A newly restored Roman palace is open again after almost 50 years. The nearly 2,000-year-old structure was home to Roman emperors and offers visitors a glimpse into antiquity. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. The imposing facade of the Domus Tiberiana features large arches that overlook the Roman Forum. Closed for almost 50 years, the grandiose imperial palace of the Roman emperors is now open to the public. Built in the first century AD, the residence is named after the Roman Emperor Tiberius. We need to picture the extraordinary facade that overlooked this place, the Temple of the Vestals, and toward the Roman Forum, specifically to amaze the population. And it was a facade decorated with marbles, which can be admired in the rooms set up inside the Hill of Victory, deep inside the Domus Tiberiana. Italy's Minister of Culture spoke on the eve of the reopening. He said many had missed out on an important part of Rome's history. With the opening of the Domus Tiberiana, we are adding another element to the richness of the archaeological park of the Colosseum. It has been closed for many years, from the 70s. Unfortunately, entire generations weren't able to see it and appreciate it, so it is an important piece. A total of 13 rooms have been restored. One was found intact after hundreds of years, providing resourceful information to the restorers. During the lockdown, we dug out a space that was left untouched for centuries, and then we could put together 13 centuries of history. It was a place that somehow went forgotten. Even Pietro Rosa, who was digging these places during Napoleon III, didn't touch anything. Restorers studied the marble, furniture, and statues inside. Their goal was to understand how the palace originally looked. We tried to study the marbles to understand how the palace was decorated. We found traces, especially from the age of Emperor Domitian. We tried to restore how the emperor wanted to show his power to the population. There is a gigantism inside that palace. We just don't realize it. The Domus is considered to be the first true imperial palace, just the latest tourist attraction in Rome. A temple in Tokyo, bustling business district, is providing refuge for busy workers and residents. The sanctuary's monk makes free desserts and reads from Buddhist scriptures. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. 
Kamyoji Temple in Tokyo offers a serene open-air terrace. It's a safe haven for busy office workers and residents nearby. This temple is located in a business district and many people are constantly working and struggling to find time to rest. Some of them lose their minds because of that. I thought this temple can make a valuable contribution to both these busy individuals and the local community by providing this space and having them stop by at this temple. Visitors bring their lunches, work on laptops or simply hang out. On Wednesdays, the temple's monk, Yukin Kahara, serves homemade desserts free of charge. At the beginning, we were only offering coffee sold at a store. However, I began to hear visitors requesting items related to temples, such as tea and desserts. Upon hearing these suggestions, we decided to make our own desserts and created a menu based on our visitors' feedback. During these sessions, Kihara performs a 10-minute sutra reading. He invites visitors to chat while savoring their desserts. I had wanted to come here for a long time, but I was a bit hesitant as I had to book in advance. This week I'm off from work and didn't have a chance to go on a vacation this summer, so I've decided to come and visit here. Kihara's desserts are inspired by the seasons. Mochi is wrapped with salted cherry blossom leaves. In the rainy season, he makes hydrangea-inspired sweets. For Kihara, Wednesdays are about more than dessert. We are constantly pressed for time and often stressed about conveying meaningful messages concisely during daily conversations. In such situations, many people may find it difficult to express their feelings to their loved ones. In this temple, we listen when needed and also respect moments of silence for those who prefer not to talk. Kihara occasionally holds online sessions for those who can't make it in person. Some people from as far as Australia participate. You may want to put down that soft drink. A new study published in JAMA says that sweetened drinks are linked to chronic liver disease and even liver cancer. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Do you find yourself drinking a sweetened beverage every day? You might want to be cautious. This habit could increase your risk of chronic liver disease and even liver cancer. It's widely known that drinking sweetened drinks can contribute to obesity and insulin resistance. But a recent study published in JAMA has now linked sweetened drinks to liver disease. The study showed that those who consumed these drinks face an 85% higher likelihood of developing liver cancer than those who don't. They also face a 68% higher risk of mortality from chronic liver disease. Other studies have also corroborated the damaging effects of sweetened drinks on the liver. A European study revealed that individuals who consume more than six servings of soft drinks per week face a notably higher risk of liver cancer. That was by 83% compared to those who consume fewer than one serving. Another study conducted in the US indicated that drinking soda was associated with an 18% increase in the risk of liver cancer. According to the JAMA study, these are a few of the issues with sweetened drinks. Sweetened drinks may contribute to obesity and spikes in blood sugar, leading to insulin resistance. These are risk factors for liver cancer and liver disease. Sweetened drinks contain significant amounts of fructose, which can lead to the buildup of liver fat. 
This can potentially trigger the development of liver cancer. And consuming sweetened drinks can lead to abnormal blood lipid levels. This can also have an adverse impact on gut microbiota. This in turn affects liver health. So it looks like having a Coke once in a blue moon might be okay, but it's certainly not something you want to be drinking regularly. And that's all for today's news. We'll be back on Monday with a new co-host on the show, NTD's Stephanie Cox. Till then, I'm Chris Beers. Have a great weekend. Thank you.